0: In a place known to be the land of saints and scholars, home to Saints Patrick, Bridget, and Columbo, there are those that have lived lives of broad virtue yet are forgotten by time. These are the stories of Ireland's forgotten treasures, told by Father Gabriel Burke. Hi, everybody. This is Father Gabriel Burke here in Curate in Blarney Parish in the south of Ireland. And over the last few podcasts, we've been looking at hidden treasures. Those people who were going to be canonized or their canonization has stalled or whatever reason. And we went through a whole list of people in Ireland. And then we went through Irish immigrants in the United States of America, either people who had emigrated from Ireland to the States or children of immigrants. But there are other hidden treasures in Ireland. Many people are well aware of NOC, Anoch has been designated by the Holy Father as an international uh, centre for an international pilgrimage centre for the Eucharist and the Blessed Virgin Mary. But it's not the only shrine we have in Ireland. We have many shrines, practically in every parish in the land. You have what they call a holy well, and this would be a spring or a well that is dedicated to a saint. Even in my own parish here in Blarney, we have a holy well in um, a place called Killeen's, which during the time of persecution, a priest was coming from one part of Cork to here to say mass. The scout had come down from White Church to tell him that the British soldiers were there ready to arrest him. And he said, so I'll say mass here. And the boy said to him, but you have no water. And immediately out of the ground came a spring of water. And today that place is called All Saints Well, and it's still visited. I suppose the oldest known shrine we have in Ireland is in County Wexford, and it's called Our Lady's Island. And it's been a shrine since the seventh century. Now, just to put it into context, um, Wexford itself, the town itself was founded by Vikings, and the name Wexford comes with Waysford, which is about a ford in the in the river. And from eight hundred AD to the time of the Norman invasion in eleven sixty-nine AD, the Vikings ruled Wexford town. Outside of Wexford, you had a mix mixture of Gaelic and Vikings and the River Slaney is the most important river there in Wexford and it goes down into the um, Irish Sea. When the Vikings started to invade in the 8th century, because it was on the coast, you've got to remember that the Vikings, the Scandinavians, had kingdoms all over England and Ireland and Wales and the Isle of Man and ourselves here so they started invading there you know it was it was lots of monasteries monasteries were easy picking because of course they don't have any armies and they have beautiful uh, materials both for the chalices and for the mass vestments and so they stole these but then they be themselves became christians and then they began to build churches and each of those churches was very close-knit. And then when the Normans came, of course, they what people forget are, is that the Normans and the Vikings are actually the same blood. Normandy in France is the land of the Norsemen, and the Norsemen is another name for the Vikings. So the Vikings did a deal with the French king that they would take what is now the province of Normandy and they would leave him alone. And so he gave them that, and that's where the name Normandy comes from. It's the land of the Norsemen, the land of the Vikings. And so they came then in 1169. What had happened was Fern, which is the ecclesiastical capital of Wexford, it was also very important because at that time it had an archbishop rather than a bishop. And it was the centre for the King of Leinster. And, you know, people say to you, oh, the Normans invaded in Ireland. They did, but at the request of the King of Leinster, he was having a bit of bother and he asked the Normans to come in from Britain. And they did. And the first of all, they landed in Wexford and moved their way up. So that's the history of Wexford in a nutshell up until the Normans. The history of Our Lady's Island, which is in County Wexford, is that there was early pre-Christian sites there that had become Christian. And they had, you can see on the island, there is a stone, a slab that goes sideways, and that's known as the Druid's altar. Then, in early Christian times, there is some people that say that St. Patrick came through County Wexford, but it's a bit too south. County Wicklow is probably more likely from coming from Britain at the time. But then, St. Aban, who's a nephew of St. Ebar, who's one of the pre-Patrician saints. He set up a monastery there in the sixth century. And even then there was devotion to Our Lady and people used to come to the island. So the Christian faith was strong in Wexford. And already in the 600 A.D.s. There was a shrine to Our Lady on the island. So that when the Normans landed. They had come to a place that was strong in the faith. That had plenty of places of worship. And that became. The center for the Norman invasion. And we can see them in the large number of parishes in Wexford that have Norman burials. When the Normans invaded in the 12th century, of course, being the victor, they confiscated land and they took the land and they also brought in new buildings. You know, Irish churches up until about the eighth or ninth century were usually built of wood. And then from about the 8th, 9th century onwards, they begin to build them by stone. But they're a particular design, whereas the Normans bring with them the Gothic des- design, what you see in the north of France and all over England and in ruins in Ireland. So a number of large estates came into the possession of Emilio di Lamporte, and he built a feudal stronghold in 1195 it was his son rudolph who built the there's a tower on our lady's island and that was built by the son Rudolf as a fort because you see the it would be great having a fort there you can see both sides of the peninsula then rudolph gave the land of our lady's island to the canons regular of St. Augustine. And they built up an excellent shrine, and you can still see to this day the ruins of their church. Rudolf himself went to fight in the Crusades. Then we see the again the early pilgrimages that came along. There's lots of historical things found by archaeologists on Our Lady's Island going way back. And then Pope Martinus V, granted them indulgences and then in 1607 Pope Paul the fifth fifth now not the sixth don't get it mixed up with the man in the 70s he gave a brief to the clergy nobility and faithful people of the kingdom of Ireland which he extorted them to imitate the martyrs of their race and prove themselves worthy sons of their forefathers who merited the island with the title of saints and he granted indulgences to very towns and cities where there was a sedality of the annunciation and he also listed such places as our lady's island where plenary indulgence could be granted to the faithful who after confession and holy communion would visit the church of our lady's island on the feast of nativity the 8th of september until that of the assumption on the 15th of august and to this day that's still the day that people visit the islands from the 8th of September to the 15th of August. Then of course, we had Oliver Cromwell who throughout the world is considered a great diplomat and a great fellow, but not in Ireland. In Ireland, he is the equivalent of Hitler for all the murders he committed and all the genocide he committed. And it was he who pushed all the Irish, the Gaelic and the Normans into the West across the Shannon, all along Connaught, and into County Clare. And it was he who sent the Irish as slaves to Barbados and Montserrat and the other Caribbean islands. So in 1869, when he arrived in Wexford, one of the group of soldiers arrived in Our Lady's Island, where many people had gone for sanctuary. The Augustinian priests refused to carry arms, and they were all murdered in the church, lay people and canons. And the church was unroofed and desecrated, and the castle was burnt. So mass was no longer celebrated within the walls of the old church. A young boy rushed into the nearby church of St. Inbar, snatched the crucifix from the altar, and attempted to escape across the shallow part of the lake. But he was shot and the crucifix was lost. And it lay in the mud until 1887 when it was found in the lake and taken to the parish priest. And today it is preserved in the parish church with a simple shrine. Twenty years after Cromwell's massacre, the pilgrims came once again to Our Lady's Island. But they had to contend with the penal laws, those laws that were brought up by both the Dublin government and the Westminster government to prevent the Catholics from living their faith. Pope Benedict the Fourteenth suppressed some of the Irish local pilgrimages because of reported abuses. But he specifically exempted Derg, which we'll talk about next time. And Our Lady's Island, and in 1833, Our Lady's Island was still being described as a celebrated place of pilgrimage. In June 1867, the Redemptorist Fathers conducted a mission in the parish, and on the last Sunday of the parish, Dr. Furlong, the Bishop of Ferns, presided at the huge procession of the Blessed Sacrament around the island, and at High Mass in the new church, the island was dedicated once again to the Blessed Virgin Mary. In 1897, the then parish priest Father Whitty established the custom of the public pilgrimage procession on the 15th of August. And since then, it has been every year. What you do when you get to the island is, before you go onto the island itself, which is more of a peninsula rather than an island, you go to the parish church. And there you say the beginning of the rosary. You kiss your cross and you say your creed, your, Our Father, Hail Mary and Glory Be. And then from there you walk down to the island itself and you say the decades as you go around the whole island. And there are certain points around the island where you stop and pray. Up until the 20th century, penitents were sent to do it on their knees or they were to walk in the water around The island, and the time of pilgrimage you can go any time of the year, but the special time of pilgrimage is as was laid down by Paul the Fifth, the the fifteenth of August to the eighth of September. And that fits in with Lochderry because Lochderry finishes its pilgrimage season just as Our Lady's Island, and in the past people would have walked all the way from County Donegal down to Wexford, to have done the pilgrimage there. So it's our oldest Marian shrine in the country. Um, and it's one that still has people going to it today. You won't find any large shrine like you will in Lourdes or in Knock, or in Fatima. What you'll find are ancient ruins, ruins of the original church, or the Augustinian church. You might find some of St. Aban's church. You'll find the ruins of the tower that the Normans built. But what it shows is the long, long devotion the Irish have with Our Lady. And in the Gaelic language, we don't say Our Lady. We don't even refer to Our Lady as Queen, which would be in Gaelic, Banrean because of when the faith came to ireland our lady is always referred to in the gaelic as a whar day or a whar Day. a is the mother day is god so the mother of god a whar Day, or the mother of the son of god and you'll find it very very seldom that she's referred to our lady or queen she's always referred to as mother and in Irish prayers and Irish spirituality, she's always a mother. And one of those phrases from the sacred scripture was very important to the early Irish. When Our Lady visited our Lord with the brothers and sisters, somebody went over to our Lord and said, your mother and your brother and your sisters are here. And Jesus said, who are my mother and my brother and my sisters? Those who do the will of God are my mother and my brother, and the Irish monasteries took that to heart, and they believed strongly that if they did the will of God, then they were the mother and the brother, and the sister of Christ. And that devotion to the Blessed Mother of God carries on still. Even in Ireland in the 20th century, that has thrown off its Catholic faith. That has become secular. You will find dotted all around the country. Statues to the Blessed Virgin Mary. They're freshly painted. They have beautiful flowers. Even in the heart of Dublin city, you find in the complexes of flats of apartments, of working men's apartments, of what you call in the States projects, you find statues of the Blessed Virgin Mary. They're not broken. They're kept lovely. They're freshly painted. And they always have a flower. So even though the people might have lost faith in the church, and even though they have walked away from the church, in their devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, it's still there. It's still strong. And the first thing when anybody is sick, they'll go to Our Lady's Island, they'll go to Knock, they'll go to Lourdes, even if they never step inside the door of a church. And you will find that people will gladly take a statue or an image of the Blessed Virgin Mary into their home, even though they don't go to church chapel or meeting us. And it will be through the Blessed Virgin Mary that Christianity will grow strong again. Because you see, devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary isn't an option. It's not an added on. It's not like when you go into McDonald's and you ask for one of these meals and then you ask for an add-on. No. She is central to the faith. We would not be sitting here talking today If it wasn't for the Blessed Virgin Mary. Her yes to God. But in that plan of action by God. Which he had from all eternity. God came to you and me through the Blessed Virgin Mary. The safest route back to God. Is through that same route. The Blessed Virgin Mary. All over Ireland you'll find those little places. Because the Blessed Virgin Mary kept us faith and kept us faithful to the faith. It is her strength, her love, her example that kept the Irish faith during persecution. And it is through her that the faith once again will be planted in Ireland. Although people lose hope nowadays, and they worry about the future of the church, you should never. Keep saying your rosary. Keep turning to the Blessed Virgin Mary. All things will be well. Because she is our mother. She was his mother. And as she looked after him as he was crucified, she will look after us. So every day, do some little devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary preferably the rosary when you get up in the morning say your angels in the middle of the day say your angels in the evening say your angels when you go to bed at night say your three Hail Marys and ask her to protect you and may almighty God bless you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit Amen the preceding program was a Spirit of Truth Radio Arts original production in partnership with Salt and Light Catholic Radio. To find out more about the Spirit of Truth Radio Arts, go to their website at www.castingthe.net.